Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians. We're reading the opening verses of the first chapter. As we come to this passage, uh, let us first join in prayer. Gracious God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we trust that you will speak to us. We are here, O oh God. We are listening. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So funny thing, my glasses are right back over there. I'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> there you are. Let us listen for God's word for us. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So it was August of 2003, I stood in the pulpit of the Presbyterian Church in Batesburg, South Carolina, a little village in the Midlands. I was leading a service bearing witness to the resurrection for my grandfather. I'd stood in that very same spot in that very same pulpit just six weeks before to do the same for his wife, my grandmother. They were married for 67 years, and they died six weeks apart. Those are the only two romantic things I actually know about them, but I'll share them with affection. The little church is small. It's a congregation of peach farmers and a sharecropper, I mean, a, a shopkeeper or two. It's a handful of teachers, and the rest are just folks who chose to stay when the town's future moved to the city. But it was the church that my father was raised in. It's where he learned Bible stories from flannel boards. Some of you are old enough to remember the flannel boards. And it was there that he was presented for baptism. It was in that little church that he took his first communion when in those days it happened at confirmation when I think he and one other Guy promised that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior. 
I, I worshiped in that church on some summer Sundays when I was visiting and occasionally the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I attended vacation Bible school there one summer and brought the, the Bible school craft home. It was a cutting board that I decorated with a University of South Carolina Gamecock. I have no idea what the Bible story was supposed to be. My grandfather, he was an elder in that church for about 150 years, and my grandmother sang in a ten-voice choir for longer than that. Before they died, these, these kind people would invite me to preach on occasion in my early days of trying the craft. Worshiping in that church always felt a little odd to me. It didn't quite fit. Worshiping there, it sort of felt like, I don't know, trying to squeeze into your old scout uniform. It was appropriate at a time, but it doesn't, it feels a little dated and no longer fits. Worship there was simple and predictable. Learning anything would almost get in the way. But I stood before them on that August day, knowing really for the first time, it didn't matter what I had to say. I was welcome there. It didn't matter what I had to say. I was loved there. They didn't know me that well, but they knew the ones to whom I belonged, and that was enough. And I don't think I realized before I led those services for my grandparents all those years ago that that little church was important to me because The faith that I claim now actually started there. The relationship that I have with these biblical texts, it it traces back to those Bible lessons with flannel board, the, the streams of courage that my father demonstrated in the 1960s in Mississippi. They're traced back to the streams of baptismal waters that poured down his head in that little sanctuary. Any witness in my life that Jesus Christ is Lord was conceived in the prayers of those people and the praise offered by a ten-voice choir. As I stood there in 2003, as clearly as I've ever understood it before, I realized that faith has roots. Faith has history. It has roots. Now, we discover our own expression of faith in our own time. And And we live our faith with our lives. Yours is the only life you have to be Christian with. But our faith living in our own time, it has history. And I'm I'm, I'm mindful of that today and and encouraged by that today because we just read from Thessalonians. and, And for all of us, the faith that we have and the faith through the generations traces back to a a small, fragile little group of folk in the city of Thessalonica. I say that because the writings of the New Testament, of all the writings in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians was the earliest. If we were to put all the letters in all the books of the New Testament in chronological order, we would not begin with the Gospel of Matthew. We would begin with 1 Thessalonians. This is the first gospel word that we read this morning. First Thessalonians draws us back to a church that 
that practiced faith before Constantine, before Nicaea, before disputes over the meaning of the Trinity, before Christianity was even a distinct religion. It was just one of the sects of Judaism at the time. There's much about those ancient Christians that we would not recognize, and there's even more they wouldn't recognize about us, but we come from them. And the history of our faith traces back to them. And, and the first word, in the first letter, in the first moments of the church, is a word of thanksgiving. Paul says, I thank God for what God has done among you, for your faith, your love, your hope. This is what God has done among you, your faith, your love, your hope. It's, it's these words that I'm inviting us to think of as kind of the DNA of Christians. Faith, love, hope. But it's not just that. Paul describes it in, in detail. He says, I thank God for your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. Already in the first writings, we, we discern a theme. The, the practice of faith is work. It requires persistence. And I don't, I don't know about you. I think I do, actually. I, it seems to me a lot of us are weary. We're we're weary of the work. We're weary of the, the civic spirit and the lack of civility. We're, we're weary because we know life is so hard and so unfair for far too many. We're weary that the, at the size of the problems that we face these days and the seemingly lack of communal will to address them, sometimes even to acknowledge them. To be a person of faith in a world such as this, it requires persistence. It's, it's work. It's how Paul describes it. From the very beginning, he points this out because he knows that our faith is never limited to our beliefs. Beliefs, I'm using that word the way we use it today. When we speak of what we believe, we usually are talking about what we think. If we say we believe something, we believe forgiveness is a good thing, we're saying that's what we think about it. But in, in Paul's day in the New Testament, to speak of belief, it was broader than just what we think. It included actions, choices, the way one lived. To say that one believed that forgiveness is a good thing. They didn't just think that. They would actually choose to forgive. Faith is work because it shows up in our choices. I, I told you years ago, our, our family, shortly after we moved to Kansas City, we took a trip traveling out west to see some things we had never seen before. And the highlight of that trip was the Grand Canyon I had never seen the Grand Canyon. Oh, I'd seen photographs. It's not the same. It was 
breathtaking. It was stunning. It was amazing. And to me, one of the most amazing things about the Grand Canyon is there are no safety rails. There are no guard rails. You know, we're in it. We're in a kind of safety-conscious culture at times. There's you know, there's OSHA, there's, there's mandatory seatbelt laws, there, there's you can't ride this ride unless you're this high. We're sort of safety aware, but at the Grand Canyon, no, you can just walk right up to the edge and lean over and look down hundreds of feet, and people were doing that. I wasn't one of them. No, I, I, I was backing up and holding on to shrubbery. I, I told Carol, I said, I said, you hold on to the kids. I'm holding on to the plants. And, and, and why was I doing that? Because I believe in gravity. <laughs> I have a high level of confidence in gravity. And because I believe in gravity, it shapes my choices. It influences the way I live my life. Faith is like gravity, or it should be. It shapes our choices. It shapes the way we live in the world. And that's why Paul knows that it's work. And because faith is work, I am grateful that faith always has history. It has roots. We have to live our faith in the ways that we feel led in our own time, but we're not alone in that. We don't, we don't invent faith. It, it has history. I, we're in a strange time. It feels like we're in a strange Time And I think the community needs us in a new way. And I think we need each other in a new way in this moment of history. I was, I was speaking to my friend, Jean Francisco, recently. Uh, Jean, Jean is, some of you will know her, Jean is the last remaining charter member of Village Church. She was among the 282 saints who gathered in the chapel over there, and they committed themselves to being the church together here on 67th and Mission. It was 1949. And when I talked to her, she said, Tom, I am so proud to be a member of Village. I am so proud of our church. She turned 100 years old. Uh, last month or month before, and she's still as sharp and gracious as she can be. And since I know she's watching us from Lakeview today, I'll say, happy belated birthday, Jean. We love you. Several years ago, we recorded her, we videoed her as she spoke briefly about the life of the church. Actually, several of you did before she spoke. Uh, several among us recited what the work of faith looks like at Village Church. Jane McKim talked to us about a week we call Better by Sunday. The goal was to get a hundred village volunteers every day of the week to volunteer in some kind of mission over that one week. We had 800 volunteers over that week 
And we said if we commit ourselves to that, and then the city might be, but we will certainly be better by the following Sunday. Ellen Tolliver talked about the service and the community that occurs in mission sewing. Dave Lillard talked about the 50 houses now that the Tuesday Thursday group has built through Habitat. Carol Cowden reminded us, us of how so many of you opened your homes in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, and we resettled people who were displaced from their homes. Betty Crooker talked about her, her friends and loved ones in the Ivanhoe neighborhood that she has come to know through the Ministry of Front Porch Alliance. Henry Sewing talked about when his family, the first African-American family to move into our community and how Dr. Bob knocked on their door and how Village Church welcomed them. Chuck Hitchcock talked about how being a Stephen minister had changed his life. Jeannie Clark spoke of how you saved lives by making Rose Brooks Domestic Violence Shelter one of our earliest signature missions. And then Jean, Jean Francisco, she said, you know, when we started, we had no idea any of that was coming. We had no idea what God would do through us. This is, this is how she said it. My name is Jean Francisco. My husband and I joined the church in February of 1949, and I have been a part of this church family ever since. We were among the 282 charter members of this church. On that Sunday, every one of the memories that we are sharing today were still dreams, dreams of distant tomorrows. I have been here for the whole journey, and these stories give me hope for what can happen among us in the years to come. She's, she's right. We are still dreaming, not because of who we are, but because of who the God we serve is, a God who imagines important work of faith that can happen in us and among us. And we're in a new season. We're trying hard to put COVID behind us, still masking because we've got young ones in, in this room who haven't got access to vaccines yet. But this long, weighty season it seems to me that it's raised up a sense of evaluation in a lot of us, re-evaluation. We're, we're attuned in new ways to what we want our life to be about, to how we want to invest our days, to what really matters in this life. We're in a season where we need now to choose the patterns and practices that we will use to build a life that matters. It's true for us as individuals. It's also true for us as a church. And as we are returning to one another, we too are choosing the patterns and practices that will build of us a church that matters 
And I want you to know there's there's remarkable renewal of energy at Antioch as that community is looking for its site pastor or an associate that will join our staff. The days ahead there are as bright as they can be. You know that as a church, we endeavor to engage the big questions in our lives. The things that people are thinking about out there, we are talking about in here from a perspective of faith. So we talk about climate and violence and racism and poverty, and we're committed ourselves to that work of faith. And as we are returning to one another, I'm seeing some folks today I haven't seen in so long. As we're returning to one another, we're doubling down on our commitment to, to be a community that that loves one another, a community that, that realizes that everyone needs some kindness in their life, and we'll regard each other not based on the meritocratic value of production, but based on the gospel value of love. We promise to be a church where our children, our third graders, and our youth can grow up knowing, learning that they are loved by God and knowing that they're loved by us. We're endeavoring to be a church that makes Kansas City and more than a few places around the world kinder and more humane and more just. And if we are faithful in that work of faith, then the old apostle, just like he did those thousands of years ago, might again lean over to his Lord and give thanks for you, for your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. Let us choose in these unusual days to let the life of Christ shape our choices as we are rediscerning the patterns and practices that establish our lives. Let us choose to let the life of Christ shape our choices. Let us trust in Him like we trust in gravity. It takes persistence, and it's demanding. But I don't know of a time in my life when it's felt more important than it does now. And I know this. Like my sister Jean Francisco, I know this, there is no people I would rather share that work with than you. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe, help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.